Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. You're with me, Shazad Haq, on Money FM 89.3, in for Michelle Martin this week on Your Money. Lots going on, of course, in the world of business and finance. Uh, of course, OPEC plus the stalemate there, that goes back to April 2020. Uh, that agreement, of course, the group made up of the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries and its allies, they were going to cut output by 10 million barrels a day. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. Also, China. And uh, the cyberspace regulation there that's launched a probe into ride-hailing giant uh, DD Global, calling for it to stop adding new users and for the app stores to remove it. And uh, we're also going to talk about uh, the gold regains after the central uh, bank buying drops to decade lows. All of that to talk about with David Chow, director at Azure Capital. Uh, David, a very warm welcome to the show. Hi, good morning to you. Good morning to all listeners out there. So right. let's, yeah, let's dive straight into it. So much to talk about. Um, let's start with the OPEC plus stalemate. Of course, we said that mm-hmm. goes back all the way to April 2020. Um, normally, normally they're all on the same page, but I think geopolitics mm-hmm. playing a part. Normally, good friends, Saudi Arabia and the UAE are on different sides of the uh, debate at the moment. Ah, that's right, that's right. I mean, to understand this uh, stalemate better, you know, let us take a brief moment to uh, revisit the purpose, you know, of uh, OPEC. It basically coordinates and consolidates the policies about petroleum production and output involving its uh, member nations. So OPEC is basically made of 15 members, and and your question is OPEC plus. Mm -hmm. This is 15 members plus nine other countries also. Yeah. So we are looking at, uh, at a rough figure of about 24 members. And uh, even though they agree most of the time, but in reality, it's certainly hard to accommodate the interest of every one of them. <laughs> so um, a stalemate isn't exactly surprising and neither is it new, as we all know. Mm-hmm. So um, the core of the current... OPEC plus tussle is that, you know, the UAE, the third largest oil producer, is actually lobbying for more production, supported by Russia, which yep. is the second largest oil producer in the world. So on the sidelines, while Saudi Arabia is the largest OPEC oil producer, loudly opposing on the opposite side, as you have uh, pointed out. So to me, I mean, if UAE were to get uh, to get a little bit lenient on its production quotas, it's likely that you know other supply enthusiastic countries such as Russia or Iraq, they'll be able to come in and negotiate supply increases, and this will bring oil prices down. So if uh, UAE and more countries are allowed to increase their production, the conservative stance that OPEC and Saudi Arabia infall will be swept away from the table and prices will take a bearish hit. So um, I think for me, the group is uh, still, I mean, it's going to be an impasse with, you know, members either hungry for market share at the expense of a weaker oil prices, mm. you know, or you have members on the other side of the camp hoping to see oil prices remaining high, you know, for, for higher state revenues. So um, from the way I see it, um, as the UAE continues um, to lobby for higher production quota, it which, if granted, you know, will likely also have to include the other supply-hungry countries. Mm. 
So um, if I draw uh, you know, the listeners' attention to the latest OPEC June report that they publish regularly, the production oil demand for oil globally is at around 96.6 million barrels per day. And the uh, supply, on the other hand, is uh, projected to be around 97.1 million barrels per day. So we are going to have a slightly higher supply. Yeah. So um, with this combined lift of quotas, uh, I mean, if granted, we could result in an increase of more than the current uh, 500,000 barrels per day that the market originally uh, you know, speculated. So this would lead to a price war. So um, in terms of oil prices, with this current demand-supply dynamics in mind, and also the uh, current uh, re- reopening of economies and possibly higher travel trends in developed countries yeah. in the U.S. and uh, Europe ahead of the summer peak season, um, you know, this could lead to oil prices holding steady at around USD seventy dollar plus a barrel. Okay. Mm-hmm. And do we think this this mm-hmm. stalemate can come to some kind of amicable conclusion? How can and and will it end? Okay. Uh, to me, uh, I guess there will be a lot of negotiation, possibly under table, that we will not know of, and. Um, there could be a breakthrough um, after the uh, after the peak season because mm. you know for countries that are you know hungry to increase production now, they are simply taking advantage of the higher oil prices to increase revenue for their state budget. So after this peak demand period, if it materializes, even though in the midst of a heightened you know COVID uh, pandemic, we could. See, you know, uh, more of these members willing to come to a table to negotiate a production cut or at least a stabilization in supply, which will ensure that after this peak season, the prices will still be stable, uh, even though it may be lower. Well, we are really going to keep a close eye on this one because um, Definitely. it's it's been uh, it's been really rumbling on for quite some time now and uh, never easy when you have that many parties involved. Uh, it's not easy. It really isn't. So uh, thank you for that uh, look at OPEC Plus and what's going on there, the stalemate at the moment. Now, the other one, of course, that's been really making the news in the last few days, of course, since uh, a week ago, really. Remember, we, we saw how Didi Chusing uh, had uh, done when it listed itself uh, in, the, in the US. Uh, massive news that was. But then China, of course, has uh, really uh, dampened the party, hasn't it, uh, soon after that. Um, and they've uh, threatened to, uh, well, take a la- action on them. They're investigating Didi Chusing. They've asked um, the app to be removed. I mean, all kinds of uh, very draconian uh, measures, at least from the outset. What do you think of, what do you make of this uh, clampdown on Didi? Okay, um, as far as I'm concerned, the previous clampdown so far before this incident mm. uh, were mostly focused on anti-monopoly. Uh, and uh, financial technology regulations. So, you know, this has led to the suspension of N Group's uh, 34.5 billion listing and Alibaba's uh, 2.8 billion antitrust fine. So, we did it this time. Um, the government has, the China government has uh, somewhat shifted their focus on cybersecurity. So, um, you know, if I look at this uh, cybersecurity law in detail, it's also known as uh, in China in Chinese as so this uh, this law that the DD bridge was jointly developed by 12 ministries in China. So this actually underscores the seriousness wow. of how the China government views yeah. the importance of cybersecurity with 12 of them coming together to draft this law. 
So, um, you know, uh, if I go back to the latest, uh, you know, 14 five-year plan of the National Economic and Social Development and the group map, group map into uh, 2035, the developments released on uh, China government's website uh, in March this year, I did a simple keyword search on the word security alone, just this word alone. Right. And uh, it actually, the search results uh, came back to me uh, telling me that, you know, this word appeared 175 times versus uh, 300 to around 400 times for infrastructure-related things. And we know that infrastructure is something that, you know, the China government uh, has in recent years been keen on. Mm. So um, out of these 155 times, you know, simply with the word security, there were 14 uh, such results with emphasis on cyber security and five times uh, whereby the words data security was used. So um, as such, you could see that the, emph- the emphasis that China is beginning to have uh, you know, on cyber security. Yeah. So um, if I also look back on uh, what happened you know, on the uh, 10th of June, uh, just last month, you know, mm-hmm. at the 29th meeting of the Standing Committee of the 30th uh, National People Congress, you know, uh, a data security dog uh, data security law, which uh, serves to strengthen data production and scheduled to come into effect on September later this year, was actually enacted. So this is again a warning for companies, you know, which uh, hold users' data to be mindful. And also, this enactment also solidifies uh, China further push into uh, you know new economy companies to drive economic growth uh, going forward. So as we are driving this sector, they are also, on the other hand, you know, coming up with laws to ensure they know that as this uh, sector contributes to the economy, you know, things are going to be prim and proper. I mean, is, is it clear then that there's going to be other companies, other Chinese companies are going to get clamped down on in the future, tech companies? Okay, um, the government has, uh, I think, come up uh, this morning uh, saying that uh, Telling, basically telling everybody that uh, to expect more laws going forward to um, to really uh, protect the interests mm-hmm. of uh, the cybersecurity and all its stakeholders. So going back to this uh, DD specific in the incident whereby you know the the authorities actually claim that uh, DD you know, pass personal information mm. of you know of consumers to the U.S. government. I actually don't. <laughs> think that, you know, Didi would actually dare to do that because you just think about the uh, repercussions Absolutely. Uh, that they have, you know, they will be, you know, be forced to close down and I don't think this is in the interest of anyone. So having said that, um, um, I need to remind listeners that the U.S. has actually, you know, recently passed this uh, Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act just in March this year. So what this means is that um, the U.S. government has rights to do a routine inspection on on foreign companies' operations. And uh, I mean, in a specific case for DD, if it does uh, a routine inspection, it could actually entail asking DD for sensitive user data. Uh-huh. So in order not to fall under this routine inspection, you know, the logical thing is to stay out of the U.S. market altogether, not to be listed on the U.S. market. And so why did DD still choose to list in the U.S. knowing, you know, the treatment it could receive from the U.S. government and the potential backlash coming from China? So I think listing in U.S., uh, you know, have to, as I would have to say, it's uh, in the interest, it's in the, it's in the interest of DD, the self-interest is the main driving force. Because, you know, the main bots uh, in China, they usually need enterprises to have three consecutive years of profits, and this would 
it actually applicable to main boards almost everywhere. So the secondary boards in China are more lenient. But unfortunately, you know, for foreign investors' point of view, they could only get, you know, renminbi in returns. And we know that, you know, uh, renminbi is not yet fully convertible. Mm. So it actually harms the interest of these foreign investors. You know, during an IPO, uh, some of the uh, key anchor investors, you know, sometimes they want to you know, sell some of their stakes, to sell some of their, uh, their holdings, you know, to get some returns for their you know, long, seemingly longer, uh, you know, holdings, you know, for these pre-IPO companies. And these foreign companies, uh, foreign investors, if they get, you know, one in returns, they can't, you know, for, they can't really convert, you know, the entire sum, you know, yeah. back to the home currency. And, you know, this may, you know, diminish, you know, their, their targeted returns. So, you know, by uh, putting Didi out for a review this time, you know, China government is trying to ensure that the risk of Didi releasing to the U.S., you know, all this confidential information, will, the risk of that will be kept at a very, very low level. So we have to see about that. Yeah, we definitely have to. Another one to keep an eye out for. Uh, we've got a little bit of time left. So let's uh, talk about gold because it seems to have regained its shine after central bank buying has dropped to decades low. What do you make of, of gold at the moment? Uh, go, uh, go for some reason, you know, since last year, you know, and till now has really experienced a roller coaster ride. Mm. You know, after surging to over uh, US uh, above $2,000 ounce in August 2020, and this is above the psychological level of 2000 you know, on the back of the uncertainties uh, created by the pandemic, it seems to go all the way down to a low of about 1680 you know, as the uh, markets actually shifted their focus to other riskier asset classes yeah. on expectations that the worst was indeed over for the global economy with the growth of vaccines, etc. So, I mean, for us, uh, when we estimate the future prices of gold or even, you know, look at whether the current value of gold is fair, we look at some, uh, you know, a few main reasons drive, driving the prices up or down and whether these reasons still exist. So one of them we look at will be uh, in the area of negative real use. So investors you know, can you know, look at the use implied by the U.S. Treasury Inflation Protection Security or TIPS in short. You know, it's uh, U.S. Treasury bonds with interest payment packed to inflation. And if I look at the numbers, currently it's still locked in the negative uh, U territory. So what this means is, uh, you know, a loss on guaranteed capital, and hence this makes gold a bit more attractive mm. you know, asset class as a form of investment. Given that you know gold bears no interest rates, or you know having no interest rates is better than a negative interest rate. So um, gold prices are uh, also generally generally moves in the opposite direction of interest rates. So as uh, gold prices gain around close to thirty two percent since the start of two thousand twenty to reach a high of you know, August mm-hmm. during that period we have also seen interest rates and inflation remain low as you know uh, the pandemic took is toward the global economy. So this has supported gold prices, uh, you know, from then till now. So if investors believe, you know, interest rate will be low going forward, despite the tapering talks, you know, gold should still hold flavors. So the second uh, reason, you know, besides negative real is a recovery in utility demand. Mm. So, uh, you know, gold, besides being investment instruments, uh, has actual users in the making of jewelries, technology, in the making of conductors in, in electronics, and also, as you have pointed out uh, by this question, helped by central bank as a form of investments. 
So at this point in time, uh, for jewelry and technology, I see, and of course, the holding um, by central banks, uh, all these three uh, sub segments or demand drivers uh, actually account for more than 90% of total gold demand. So in the event that the econ- global economy could continue to recover, definitely uh, jewelry and uh, increase of use of technology and you know central banks, uh, if they start to buy gold again, all three factors could support you know gold prices going forward and uh, this could lead to another to go prices challenging the $2,000 mark again. So um, the other reason is the traditional investment view of gold. So, you know, gold has since, you know, very, very long time ago remains a good hedge in mm-hmm. uncertainty times and diversification strategy. So, uh, you know, with that, uh, if the global economy, you know, suffers any, uh, you know, further setback in the pandemic, you know, of course, this will again support prices of gold. Well, that's all the time we have for, but uh, a very comprehensive uh, review there of the bigger stories dominating the business and finance world. David Chow, Director at Azure Capital. We really appreciate your insights and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners. Have a good day. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.